You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. We are actually in our Christmas series. Can you believe that? That Christmas season is here. And uh, this year we've entitled our series, When the Real Jesus Comes to Town. And um, the reason we use this language, when the real Jesus comes to town is because we believe in the religious South. There are many people who have a version of Jesus in their heads, right? Most people, if you go and you talk to them, they're going to know who Jesus is. Um, they've heard about him probably from their grandma or their parents, or they grew up in church. And what we want to say is just this, that we want you to trade your version of Jesus for the real Jesus, the real resurrected King Jesus that we read about in scripture. He is the good news, whether you believe it or not, He's the good news to all of life. And over the next few weeks through the Christmas se- uh, season, we're going to be talking about how Jesus, the real Jesus, brings a real hope, uh, a real peace, a real joy, and a real love that all of us are longing for. And today, as we kick off the series, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up on the screen for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. Paul says this, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, hey, there's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on a breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. Let's pray together one more time. Father, right now we just want to quiet our souls, but we need your help to do that. We know, Father, that um, in the busyness of life, Uh, There's always so much going on. Um, It's so easy to get distracted from what it is that you're trying to say to us. And so I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will work through this word and that you will drive it into our hearts and that you will conform us more and more into the men and the women that you have created us to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray that. Amen. When I first started as a a pastor, I was a college-slash-evangelism pastor. It was a little over 10 years ago. And my duties as the evangelism pastor was to go and get trained in what was called the evangelism explosion. Anybody in here ever heard of evangelism explosion? All right, a few of you. Okay, how many of you have actually gone through evangelism explosion? Anybody? All right, Jody, I like to see that hand. You were actually in one of the classes, weren't you, that I was teaching? That's awesome. So I went and got trained in it, and then I came back, and um, uh, twice throughout the year, I had two semesters that I would teach for 10 weeks. Uh, I would lecture over things like the doctrine of God, the doctrine of uh, man and sin and faith, and then after the lecture, I would 
take people out with me and I would show them how I share the gospel the EE way, right? The way Evangelism Explosion trains us to share the gospel. And uh, for the most part, it's always a really enjoyable experience for the students coming through until um, you come towards the end of the semester. Because at the end of the semester, you go from watching me share my faith to you have to share yours, right? If you're going to get your diploma, if you want to be considered a master of evangelism, uh, you have to share your faith. And then I have to write off on like, yes, you have shared the gospel with somebody. And so what would happen at the end of the semester is if you were in this class, I would take you to some random house, right? You didn't know the people and we would knock on the door or we would go to East Hayes and we would ambush people as they come out. True story, not making this up. Uh, wish I was. And uh, people would come out and, and what you would do is you would introduce yourself and then you would ask this question. Hey, if you were to die tonight, do you think you would go to heaven or is that something you're still working on? Now, to my surprise, I would say probably nine out of 10 people would typically respond with something like this. You know, that's a great question. I've never really thought about that before. You know, that's, that's interesting. I, I don't know. Let me think about that. You know, I'd say I'm probably still working on that, actually. Uh, this would shock me over and over because, I mean, we're talking about, right, we're in a city, we're in a region where there's a church building on every corner for the most part. And yet what I discovered when I taught Evangelism Explosion, and this was 10 years ago, that people here in the religious South, though very religious, are rarely thinking about life after death. We are rarely thinking about the fact that we really will at some point draw our last breath here on earth and we will stand before God, we will give an account for our lives, and then we will spend somewhere, whether in heaven or hell, for all eternity. And you see, because I would say that's probably the majority of us in here, the Apostle Paul, he knows this about the church, and he says, so what I want you to do this holiday season is I want you to slow down, and I want you to, to reflect on this reality. I want you to slow down long enough and reflect on the fact, not only, I don't want you to just think about the fact that you're living here in the present, but I want you to think about where you're going to be in the future. I want you to think about eternity. And the way that Paul does that in verse 2 is by focusing us on what he calls the day of the Lord. Now, for those of you who are new to the Bible, let me just tell you this. The day of the Lord is basically this, quickly. For Jewish people, they would basically divide life into two ages. There would be the present age and then the age to come. And the present age, that's what we're in right now, right? There's injustice, there's suffering, there's poverty, there's brokenness, there's dysfunction, all of that kind of stuff. There's cancer, right? In the age to come, though, they would look forward with great hope to this reality that as Christians, there's coming an age where Christ will redeem and restore all things. Everything will be put to right and we will experience life as it was meant to be. Now, the transition, Jews would say, from this life to the, from this age to the age to come is what they would call the day of the Lord. Or as your translation might say, or as it says in other places in the Bible, the day of judgment. Here's what you need to know about the day of judgment. Okay? On the day of the Lord, on the day of judgment, what the Bible teaches is that Jesus Christ will come to this earth again. And he will, the Bible says, do away with all evil. Now, um, this means, of course, he will do away with evil spirits. He will, praise God, do away with the, the effects of evil in the world, like sickness and cancer and dysfunction and death and brokenness. But listen, 
The Bible is clear he will also put an end to all evil people. He will put an end to all people who refused in this life to trust in Jesus, who refused in this life to turn from worshiping the creation to worshiping them as their creator. He will destroy those who have not trusted in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on their behalf. Now, I know immediately, like, this is an unpopular idea. I understand this. Like, this is not something we like to talk about. We don't want preachers to preach about. But listen, you need to understand this or not. Whether you like it or not, this is the real Jesus. This is the Jesus that we read about according to the Scripture. And there's a lot of places I could turn and, and, and read from to show you this. But I'm just going to look at one passage, Revelation chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Hold your spot back in Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, I'll put it on the screen for you. Revelation 19, verse 11. Uh, John here, he has a revelation of the end of times, of the day of the Lord, of the day of judgment. And here's what he says about that day. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and does what? He makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. That means that nobody will be able to escape his sight. There's nothing going to be done in secret. He'll see it all. His, flames, his eyes are like flames of fire. On his head are diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name which he is called is the word of the Lord. Um, quick question, whose blood is on Jesus' robe? That's right. A lot of times we read it and we think, oh, that's Jesus' blood. Isn't that cute? Jesus shed his blood for, for Christians. But we know according to the way Isaiah prophesied, this is not Jesus' blood. This is the blood of his enemies. Okay, This is like a Quentin Tarantino type film almost. It seems like it's, it's, it's bloody, it's gory, it's violent. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name of which he is called is the word of the Lord. And then the armies of heaven, which is kind of interesting to me. I don't know why it says armies, plural. I never thought about that this past week. I don't know the answer to it, but there's going to be multiple armies. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword that's not uh, literal, that's figurative, in which he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread, look at this, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. You think, what does that mean? Well, in this culture, they would have known exactly what they were talking about. If you went out to a wine press, if you wanted to make wine, you would just go out and you would stomp on the grapes in the wine press, right? And it would, it would spit out this juice so you could make the wine. Paul or John says that's what Jesus is going to do when he comes back, right? The enemies are going to be the grapes, and he's going to come. You can't escape, right? Like he's, that's what he's saying here. And then um, verse 16 and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. Apparently, Jesus is coming back with a tattoo. And so, and what's it going to say on it? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The real Jesus, when he came to this world the first time, he came as a baby. When he comes back, he's coming as a king. He's coming, as it says here, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and everything on earth will be judged, and every bit of evil, including evil people who refuse to trust in Jesus, will be destroyed. Now listen, depending on where you sit right now, this is either a beautiful text or it's a bone-chilling text. 
this is either a really good thing or a really bad thing. For some of you right now, you sit here and you sit here right with God. Some of you are here, you are Christians, you have trusted in Jesus. You didn't just lie. I'm not just talking about like you prayed a prayer for fire insurance. Like literally, you've submitted your life to Jesus as Lord. And therefore, if that is you, listen, you should look towards to the day of judgment, to the day of the Lord with great hope and expectation. Because if Jesus is doing away with all evil, what does that mean? There's coming a day for you and me where there will be no more pain or persecution. There is coming a day for us where there will be no sorrow and no sickness. There's coming a day where we will be able to breathe out of both nostrils. Can I get an amen from anybody that has allergies? Right? There is coming a day where we will see no death or disappointment. There's coming a day where we will not stump our toes on anything. There's coming a day where there will be no failed expectations. There's coming a day where there will be no need for nursing homes, no need for hospitals. Amen, brothers? I took my son, my wife and I took our son Wyatt to Children's Hospital on Monday because he had to have some blood work done. And it was a pretty traumatic experience because um, they were trying to draw blood for my son and they kept blowing his veins. He's only three and a half years old. And so he's, he's crying. There's like four nurses trying to hold him down. I'm sitting there. I'm talking to him. Megan's like rubbing his head and trying to sing to him or whatever. And, and Nora's in there with us. My daughter's four and she's freaking out. She starts crying. So I rush her out of the room and we got out of the room and she got, and, and she said, daddy, can we just go look at a bird or something? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, baby, we can go look at a bird. And she was just traumatized. And so like we're walking out uh, down this hall and about that time, I see this family walk out of a room and they take these masks off and I hear this dad say to the doctor, he says, doctor, this is wearing her out. I don't know how much more of this she can take. And so immediately I was kind of curious. I looked in the room and there was this little girl, um, I would say about the age of my daughter, Nora, and she was in this little red wagon like we have at our house. We pull our kids in and she's just lifelessly hanging over it and chemo's running in her. And uh, man, I just thought to myself like, Lord Jesus, Come. Like, this is not right. Put an end to this. Guys, for a Christian, we have hope. One day he will. One day he will. One day when Christ returns for the Christian, do you realize all sad things will come untrue? All evil and the effects of it will be done away with. This is the hope that we have with the real Jesus. Now, the question I want to ask you is, is this your hope today? Do you have 100% assurance? Is this your hope today? For some of you, the day of the Lord is going to be beautiful. For some of you, the day of the Lord is going to be agonizing. For some of you, when Jesus returns, he's coming as your gardener to free you up to flourish and to experience the life you've been longing for. For others, Jesus is not coming as your gardener. He's coming, the Bible says, as your executioner. He's coming with a vengeance. This is the real Jesus. And Paul says, look, you just need to slow down for a second. I know you don't like to think about it, but you need to meditate on this truth. And so let's do just that. If you look back in verse 1, Paul says this, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers... 
you have no need to have anything written to you. Apparently, the people in Thessalonica were a lot like religious people today. They wanted to know when exactly is Jesus going to return? Like, when's the exact time? Right? If the people in Thessalonica would have been here today, they would have been reading about the four blood moons. They would have been wanting to know, like, is Obama the Antichrist? Is Donald Trump the Antichrist? Like, where's the signs? Like, they would be trying to figure out when's the exact time that Jesus is going to return. And what does Paul say? I'm not even going to write to you about that because it doesn't really matter. He's saying Jesus himself doesn't even know, Matthew 24. So we're not going to know. So it doesn't matter exactly when he's going to return. All you need to know is he is going to return. And so he says in verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. And look at the metaphors he uses. He will come, he says, first like a thief in the night. And then in verse 3, he says, why everyone's like, oh, life is great. There's peace and security and there's comfort and there's flourishing and prosperity. Sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Okay, that's the two metaphors he uses. So let's just talk about those for a second. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was awoken in the middle of the night by what I thought was a thief in our house. Some of you maybe remember this story. Um, I was laying in bed and all of a sudden I hear our door was, you know, we don't shut it all the way, but it was, it was shut. And all of a sudden I hear it begin to creak open a little bit. So immediately I wake up and I mean, someone's in the house. So I'm sitting there, but I'm, I'm kind of disoriented. I'm trying to figure out like, did I, did I dream this? So I'm just sitting there. And about that time I hear a loud noise coming from the kitchen. Well, about this time I woke up my wife. She sits up in bed and I'm like, throw her back down. I'm like, are you crazy? Get down. She's like, what's going on? Someone's in the house. It's like, what are you going to do about it? It's like, I'm going to kill them. And so like, I roll off the bed. I roll off the bed, I grab my shotgun, and uh, I'm about to walk out the door. Then I was like, okay, I need to actually go put ammunition in it first. And so I go, and I'm trying to find my shells, and Megan's like, you're being so loud. I was like, I can't help it. And so like, I'm trying to put shells in there. I'm like, trying to like, you know, trying to like cock it. And then I like walk out the door, and my adrenaline's pumping so much. I'll tell you, if my grandma would have jumped out, I'd blown her head off, right? Like I was absolutely just like, I mean, I was ready to do... War And so like we walk, I walk out the door and when I do and I'm ready to shoot whoever jumps out, I notice in the corner of my eye that what had happened is I'd left our dog crate open. And sure enough, I look and there is our dog that we had at the time uh, just making a, a big mess in the kitchen. All right. And so I go, I put the dog up. And then I go back to bed. I'm like, okay, I better take, I put my gun back on safety so I can put it away. And that's when I noticed I never even took it off safety. And so like clearly, if it would have been a thief we would have been in major trouble, right? And why is that? Because we didn't go to bed that night thinking, you know what? I bet a thief's going to try to come up in our house tonight and we need to be ready, right? Like, no, we were totally unprepared. And here's what Paul said. That's the way some of you are going to be when Christ returns. He's going to come like a thief in the night and you're not even going to be ready for what he's going to do. He then goes on and he says, not only is Jesus' return going to be sudden and unexpected, he says it's also going to be unescapable. That's what's behind this metaphor where he talks about this woman having labor pains. As some of you know, my wife is pregnant with our third child. And um, a few, I guess earlier in the pregnancy, I don't remember how, much, uh, how far back it was, but we had a little scare. We thought that we were basically uh, going into preterm labor. And so like um, my wife began to have some contractions and other things going on. So it was on a Sunday morning. Adam was actually preaching that day. So we got a chance to rush down to the hospital at NEA. And they ran some tests on her, and they came back, and they're like, we have some good news and some bad news. Good news is, baby's okay. Mama's okay. Baby's not coming right now. The bad news is, Dad, no sexual intimacy for the next three weeks, okay? 
And so um, we left the hospital. I took a little picture, a snapshot. I think it's up there. Is it? We don't have it, Ryan. Okay, there it is. And so um, it was a tough, tough trip. Uh, fortunately, my wife was strong. She held together. And so um, here's the deal, though, okay? So false alarm. Baby was not coming into the world. We actually, by the way, have a C-section uh, date set for December 26th. And so that's whenever our, our third child will be here. So coming right up. But keep in mind, in this context, what Paul's talking about here, there's no C-sections, right? There's no, like, induced labor. Like, if a woman began to experience child pains, labor pains, that means the baby is coming and there's nothing that you can do about it. That's the same thing Paul's saying here. He says, one day, Christ is going to come. He's going to bring destruction on his enemies and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. And so the imagery he's using here is Jesus's return is going to be unexpected and it's going to be unstoppable. Now, for some of us, that should be fairly scary. But here's what Paul wants to say to encourage the church. He says in verse four, you were not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are always as children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, but of the darkness. What um, Paul is getting at here is the reality that, look, yes, Jesus, when he returns, is going to come unexpectedly, and he's going to be unstoppable. But he, he says, look, for a Christian, this does not have to be a scary thing. And why is that? Because he says, you are no longer, as a Christian, in the darkness. Now, when you think about darkness, think about this. This word, whether you know it or not, for those of you not being clear on history, this was written before Thomas Edison came around, okay? So there's no light bulbs, anything like that. There's no street lights. In this culture, when darkness came, darkness came. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where there's like zero light, just complete darkness, but I mean, you can't even see the hand in front of you. Um, and it's kind of an eerie thing. A, a few weeks ago, matter of fact, we had our children's hayride. For those that are able to make it, uh, you remember it. Uh, me and Breck, being as mature as we are, decided to go hide in the woods so we could scare uh, the kids as they came by on the, the hay wagon. And so we go and we hide, and we're in these woods. And I'll be honest, it kind of got creepy, right? Breck's like, I hear something. Like something's in the woods, right? But we could not see anything. And we're sitting there thinking, like, man, I need Wolf to hurry up and get here so we can get out of the woods and get back where there's some light, right? It was an eerie feeling. And you know why? Because, like, we did not know what was around us. And that's the way it is when you're in the complete darkness. You are unaware. You don't know what is coming. Even if destruction was coming up on you, you would not be able to tell. And what Paul says, look, if you are not a Christian, that's what's going to happen, right? You are in the darkness. But he says, look, if you are a Christian, you're in the light. Therefore, he says in verse 6, he says, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Paul says, in this room right now, there are two types of people. There are people of the night, and there are people of the day. There are people of darkness, and there are people of the light. He says, if you are of the darkness, how do you know? He says, you're asleep, and you're drunk doesn't mean like literally drunk. What he means when he says you're asleep, he means you're apathetic. You're not really thinking about the fact that there is a second coming, that one day you will stand before God. When he says that you're drunk, what he means by that is you're basically living out of control. You're just doing whatever you want, whenever you want. If it looks good, tastes good, smells good, you go for it because, hey, you know what? This is pretty much all that there is. He says, that's what it means to live in darkness. But he says, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not the way you live. He says that you actually, because you are of the light, he says you are to stay awake. 
For a Christian, that means you're to be vigilant. You're to be aware the things are going on around you, right? That there's more than just what we see. He says as a Christian that we are to be sober-minded. That means that we're to be self-controlled. We're to have discipline. We're to actually get into God's word. We're to spend time in prayer. We're to pay attention to our hearts. Yes, we are to enjoy the gifts that God has given us, but we need to remember that this is not all there is and that one day we will stand before God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we will give an account for our lives. Therefore, in light of this, Paul says in verse 8, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Notice how Paul in verse 8 uses military language here. Do you know why he does that? Because listen carefully. The Christian life is much more like a war than it is a walk in the park. For those of you who are truly following after Jesus, you know that the Christian life is a fight. It is a battle. And listen, some of you need to hear that today because for some of you, there's very little fighting going on in your life right now. There's very little battling against the flesh, battling, fighting against the lies that are fed to you from the world and from the enemy. And as a result, listen, if you're not careful, listen carefully, you are going to get caught up into a stream of something that might resemble Christianity, but in the end, you're going to find out it wasn't it at all. I'll never forget the, the day that I almost killed my wife. Um, she was out, we were actually dating at the time, and we were on a canoe trip with a bunch of college students. Some of you have heard the story before. And somebody had told us before we got into the canoe that, hey, you need to be careful because when you come up on this turn in the river, you're going to see that right after there's this tree that's down. And last week, somebody hit it. They got caught in the tree and they died. So just be careful. Make sure you don't hit it. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Okay, didn't pay attention. Big problem on my part because we get into that part of the river. Megan's actually in the front of the canoe. I'm in the back. We get into that portion of the river. I noticed that some of the college students, they had already pulled their canoe over on the right side of the river. Like, And I'm like, okay, this is probably the spot. But at this point, what had happened is we had gotten caught in the stream. It was too late. And I noticed that we were heading towards this tree that what felt like, you know, 90 miles per hour. We could not stop. And so I yell at my wife, say this! You know, and so like she throws up her hand to try to like stop us with the, you know, like with her own hands. But what it does, what it did whenever she hit the tree is immediately our canoe flipped. I lost my, my cell phone. I lost my glasses. I lost everything else that apparently you're not supposed to take with you on a canoe trip, uh, in the canoe. And so uh, we get thrown into the water. And, and honestly, like, I was not scared for myself. I'm a decent swimmer, right? I was a lifeguard at an Olympic pool when I lived in Louisville. So I'm like, hey, I'm all right. I'm, I'm good. But my wife is not that great of a swimmer. No offense. And so I was worried, right? I'm like, hey, you know, I'm just thinking, like, man, she's going to drown. And so, like, I, you know, I'm hitting these limbs. Eventually, I come up. And I'm looking for my wife. Eventually, she pops back up. Thankfully, she grabs a hold of a limb. I grab her. And eventually, we get to safety. But here's the deal. I want you to think about this. Though we did not die, we probably should have. And what I want you to think about is why were we ever heading into destruction? Why were we heading into this dangerous place? For two reasons. One, we were failing to pay attention. We did not pay attention to the signs or the warnings. And as a result, listen, we did not dive into destruction. We drifted into it. For some of you right now, you are drifting towards destruction. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. There's nothing obvious right now in your life that's going to disqualify you, but you're drifting. 
Paul says, wake up. Stay alert. Get sober. And he says, you have to put on your armor because this is going to be a fight. Therefore, he says, put on the breastplate of faith. In other words, take God at his word. Live as if Jesus really did get out of the grave. He says, put on the breastplate of love. Remember that Jesus gave his whole life for you. He sacrificed everything that he has and now seek to love others the way he has loved you. He says, put on the, the, the helmet of hope. And by the way, hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not blind optimism. It is an absolute expectation that everything God says is going to happen is going to happen. Paul says you want to protect yourself from drifting. You want to protect yourself from being unprepared on the day that you will stand before God. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to protect yourself from doubt and unbelief and the temptation of giving up by putting on faith. He says you need to protect yourself from hate and bitterness and anger and greed and lust and all of that by putting on right, the breastplate of love. And then he says you're to protect yourself from despair, protect yourself from anxiety and depression and cynicism and melancholy and all of that by putting on the helmet of hope. Fight. And as you fight, he says in verse 9 and verse 10, for God has not destined us to wrath, remember this, he says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He says, as you fight, Christian, remember, your trajectory is not damnation but salvation. He says, as you fight, remember, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by Jesus' work on your behalf. He says, remember as you're fighting that Jesus Christ, that he came and he lived a perfect life you couldn't live. And then he went to a cross and he became your sin. And then he died the death that you deserve to die. So that now when you trust in Jesus, you can become his righteousness and you can live the life that he deserves to live for all eternity. What is true of Jesus can now be true of you and is true of you if you have trusted in him. He says, remember this. Remember you have a new hope. You have a new trajectory and it's not towards destruction it is towards eternal life therefore he says in light of this church verse 11 as he closes encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing we need each other y'all and we need to encourage each other with this truth regularly We need to remind each other that no matter how dark or how bleak the world may look around us, that if you are a Christian, your future is incredibly bright. If you will continue to fight, and if you will continue to cling to Jesus Christ and his work for you through his life, death, and resurrection. At fellowship, we believe that Jesus has come, and he is coming again. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Advent is all about. Jesus has come as a baby. He's coming back as a king. And when he comes back, he will make all things new. He will get rid of evil once and for all. And if you are trusting in Jesus, you know what that means? Think about this. How great of news is this? Everything you're really longing for right now that you're looking for and things outside of Jesus at times, everything you're really longing for, if you're a Christian, it will be realized a trillion times over in your heart in that moment. You will finally be at rest. 
you will finally be satisfied. You will finally experience everything in full at this point right now, what we only know in faith. Guys, listen, don't freak out. This is what our world is coming to, Christian. Our future is bright. We have a great future and a great hope right here in Jesus. And so as I close, let me just say this. On a practical level, this should mean two things for us. Not just this holiday season, but as we continue to live. Two things. One is if we believe this truth, that this is our future in Christ, Christian, this should create a deep sense of hope in your life. We live in a very unsettled world. Would you agree? Where there's an increasing amount of violence, war, secularism, racism, terrorism, all sorts of isms. Right? There's cancer. There's, there's thousands of uncertainties that make us worry about our children and our families and our future. Jesus Christ provides you with a hope that this world cannot give you and a hope this world cannot take away from you. If you believe that, you don't have to freak out when things don't go exactly the way you think they should be going. We should have a deep sense of hope. And you know why? Because, listen, Christians, we know how this ends. We know how it ends. And how does it end? Jonathan Edwards, I love how he says it. That all of our bad things are going to turn out for good. All of our good things will never be taken away from us, and the best is yet to come. Some of you need to stop grounding all of your happiness and hope in this troubled world, and you need to put your hope in the eternal kingdom of God. If you will learn to do that, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, listen, parents, because we've got like 70 kids typically back there, tons, a lot of you in here are parents. I'm telling you, when this happens, if for some reason we do get bad news about our child, it will not crush us. It will not crush us. If we believe that this is true, I'm not saying that we don't grieve, not saying that we just become flippant about the things of the world that are not the way they should be. But if we believe this is true, one day you will be able to face death itself right in the face and smile. You know why? Because Jesus did. You will be able to survive anything and live with a great sense of deep, unshakable hope. Because you will know Jesus has come and he's coming again and he will one day make all things right. Second thing I would say is this. Last thing I'll say. Not only should this teaching create in us a deep sense of hope, it should also create a deep sense of urgency. Some of you I know you've had bad experiences with evangelism. Some of you because you went through my evangelism explosion class. And here's what I think or I fear we've done. We swung the pendulum to the other side. And we said, because I don't want to do bad evangelism, I'm not going to do any kind of evangelism. Or I'll just let the pastor do it. Because that's what he gets paid to do, right? Some of you in here, you have not shared your faith. And I'm not trying to condemn you. I just... I just Please know I'm coming from a posture of love right now. Some of you in here, you've not shared your faith in months, possibly even years. Some of you are in missional communities right now that are apathetic. You're not living on mission anymore. Having a good time, 
talking about following Jesus, but you're not going out and you're not seeking to tell people about Jesus. If we believe this is true, that changes quickly. I'm all about having fun, but there is a seriousness and intentionality about the mission God's given us. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do over Christmas season. I want you to, um, when you look at people, whether people in this room or people in the places that you're shopping at or the grocery store, I want you to realize every one of them, they're not just flesh and bone, they have souls. And one day they're going to stand before God on Judgment Day. I want you to, as C.S. Lewis says, to realize that every single person you encounter will one day die and they will become, as a result, depending on where their faith has been, either an immortal horror or an everlasting splendor. This should create a deep sense of urgency to get out and tell people about the hope that we have in Christ. I pray that like uh, Charles Spurgeon, we can say as a church the following. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Because the second coming of Jesus, because of Advent, guys, we have a great sense of hope and a great sense of urgency. Some of you in here right now, listen, we're almost done. You have no hope. You have little to no hope. For some of you in here, there should be a great sense of urgency in you and not thinking about the souls of others, but your own soul right now. For some of you, Jesus is coming back as your executioner, not as your gardener. One day you will stand before God and you will give an account for your soul. And listen, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to be able to say, I've trusted in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I trusted in his life, death, and resurrection on my behalf. Or you will, for all eternity, suffer the way Jesus suffered on the cross for you because you rejected that. It doesn't have to stay that way. You can, right now, experience this hope.